0: Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. I was in church yesterday, and one of the ladies in church said she um, mentioned needing to send my wife a text and needed to find my, my wife's phone number, and her uh, little girl who's probably three years old says 877-973-7425. Thank you for indoctrinating your children by letting them listen to me. Now, uh, we need to talk about jobs. There actually is some interesting data out there on jobs because this is one of the probably the biggest uh, issues of our age right now is where on earth have all the jobs gone? Everybody seems to have a theory for where the jobs have gone. But what does the data actually show? What does the data actually suggest for where people actually are? The Wall Street Journal has a story by Greg Ipp, an American labor market mystery. The United States has uh, really led Europe for a very long time on employment, on labor, on um, business economy, job growth, and the like. And yet we've fallen behind on labor participation. The Labor Department reported Friday The U.S. labor force participation rate was 62.6% in January compared with 61.9% in December. Now, labor force participation rate is how many people in the economy who could work do work. The share of the population between ages 15 and 64... Where could they be? Between the fourth quarters of 2019 and 2021, the labor force participation rate dropped 0.7% in the U.S. while rising in Japan and Canada, according to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. The Eurozone participation rate was also well above its pre-pandemic level in the third quarter. While much of the decline is because of retirement in the United States the 25 to 54-year-old participation rate in labor has fallen more than in other countries. Why? Also, inflation is now higher in the United States than in other countries. These things appear to be related. And it has two things having to do with a public policy So inflation has a lot to do with government spending, but our labor force participation rate does as well. We did something that Europe and Japan decided not to do. We separated workers from their jobs. Now, I know at the time that this was happening, the left was very hysterical about it, but I do believe they will be honest and admit it now. In this country, the program the United States decided to deploy was twofold. One was the Paycheck Protection Act, PPP, where you could get a loan from your business, uh, from the government for your business, for the amount of money your employees needed, what their salaries would be. And as long as you did not change your salaries for a number of months or years, I think it was, you would not have to pay back the loan. It would become a government grant to you to prop up your payroll at a time everything was shut down. But what the government also did is the government subsidized unemployment such that people were getting additional money from the federal government for going being unemployed. Now, what did that do? The stories are legion. And legend, employers found their employees angry with them for getting PPP. Employers found that if they got into the Paycheck Protection Program, their employees were furious. Why? Because in very many cases in the United States, If an employee took unemployment, given the generous unemployment benefits the federal government was paying, they could make more money on unemployment than their current salary with their employer. So if the employer got PPP and didn't lay off the employees, the employees actually got paid less than if they went on unemployment. And so a lot of employers wound up either giving the money back or not going through with PPP. And then what happened is those employees out of the workforce... Many of them started setting aside some of the extra money that they didn't need so they could stay on unemployment longer. They could stay out of work longer and not have to find a job. And in some cases, those people realized, particularly in a lot of cases, working parents realized, hey, you know what? One of us could stay home with the kids. We don't need to go back to work. Europe and much of Asia, particularly Japan, did something different. In Europe and in Japan, instead of doing the unemployment benefits the United States did, in Europe and Japan, They governments just took over the payrolls of companies. They furloughed employees. And they told employees, look, you're going to be furloughed. You're, you're going to be set out of work, but you're still going to get your salary. And the government wound up paying the payroll to the companies. And the companies kept paying their employees. So the employee relationship to the employer was no longer severed. Because the employer and the employee relationship never went away, when it was time to go back to work, the employees could go back to work at their existing job. They never left employment altogether and so had no reason to go find new jobs. In the United States, we severed the bond between employee and employer. And as a result, as a result, A lot of people on the unemployment line, when it was time to go look for work again, decided to go look elsewhere. Now, it's not all COVID, although COVID had a lot to do with it and the policies we developed around COVID. In some cases, people have died. In some cases, people decided to retire early. And in some cases... People are scared to go back to work because of COVID. We still have the chicken littles out there who are scared the sky is still falling. They don't want to go back to work and they're they're making ends meet. They're, they're doing what they can on, on minimal pay so they don't they don't have to go back to work. But the biggest issue, the most important issue is that our government policies affected the unemployment situation. And now as people are going back to work, companies are having to pay way more money to induce them to come into the market and the result is that inflation is going up as well and inflation goes up because prices go up prices go up because you got to you got to keep up with what people want to be able to work the wage rate is an incentive to get you in to get a job and if it's too low if it's $7.50 And everybody else out there is paying 20 bucks an hour. You got to get to $20 an hour just to be considered. But the problem is that inflation is more than just wages. It's other things as well. And here's Joe Biden's economic advisor talking about this this morning. At this point you know we have seen strong wage growth um, but you know wage growth is not keeping pace with inflation Um, you know and the president has been very focused on making sure that this recovery works for all workers he likes to talk about building an economy from the middle out and you know certainly wage gains are an important piece of that puzzle but we want to see that strong sustained wage gains over time Um, you know and we do need to be uh, concerned about you know uh, whether or not there is any indications that that is affecting inflation and again you know Know, that is the Fed's job, but you now let me remind you that um, you know that it, so far they are not keeping pace with inflation. Yes, yes, wages are not keeping pace with inflation. So you get paid an extra 20 bucks an hour, but inflation is still causing you to feel like you're taking home less and less. That's a problem. And it's a problem that the Biden administration itself has to some degree incentivized here. And it's a problem that the left has no answer for. You know, the left has been making their case for MMT, modern monetary theory. And modern monetary theory means that the government can just print more money to pay for more progressive agenda items, and we won't get inflation. The New York Times has a story out today. Is this what winning looks like? Modern monetary theory, the buzziest economic idea in decades, got a pandemic tryouts of sorts. Now inflation is testing its limits. It sounds like uh, Gina Smolik at the New York Times was writing skeptically on MMT, but the headline writers make it sound like she's in praise of it. She's not really. MMT has been embraced by progressive activists like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Stephanie Kelton is probably the um, the um, the big proponent of it. She's the face of modern monetary theory. Here's how the New York Times describes it. Modern monetary theory posits that if a government controls its own currency and needs money, it can just print it as long as its economy has the ability to churn out the needed goods and services. In the MMT view of the world, how will you pay for it is a vapid policy question. Real world resources and political priorities determine how much lawmakers can and should spend. It's an idea that was forged and put to something of a test during a low inflation era. Stephanie Kelton published a book, The Deficit Myth, in 2020 and shot onto the bestseller list. Inflation had been weak for decades, had dropped below 1% as consumers were in the pandemic. The government began to spin rapidly to prop up failing households. And guess what? Inflation bounced back. And now it's over 7%. And government spending is partly to blame for it. And the modern monetary theorists, they they can't accept the blame. So Larry Summers, you know who Larry Summers is? Larry Summers is one of the first liberals out there, an economist, worked for uh, Barack Obama and Bill Clinton. He was the president of Harvard. And he said, hey, if you spend what you're spending, you're going to cause inflation. And everybody will Now, said, no, Larry, you're out today. We got modern monetary theory. It doesn't matter. We can spend as much as we want. We won't cause inflation. And behind the scenes, a lot of smart people in Washington took Larry Summers seriously, but they were scared of the wokes. They were scared of the squad. They were scared of the progressives in the White House who had bought into modern monetary theory so they wouldn't speak up. And now all the things that Larry Summers said would come to bear have come to bear. And he's got a Twitter thread on modern monetary theory and why the New York Times shouldn't be treating it seriously or even skeptical. One of the problems he points out is that even Marxist scholars, even Marxist scholars will do peer-reviewed economic analysis. And the modern monetary theorists refuse to do peer-reviewed journals explaining their points. It is incoherent. It cannot be explained. According to MMT, Michael Strain from the American Enterprise Institute puts this out, when aggregate demand drops, we need big deficits. But when the economy is suffering from too much demand leading to inflation, we should not raise taxes. It's not coherent. Now, of course, modern monetary theorists say everything that's happened proves them correct. The problem is that they can't actually explain how it proves them correct, and yet the New York Times seems to be giving them a platform to advance it at a time where everyone who said the amount of government spending we've got out there would cause inflation has been proven right, and the modern monetary monetary theorists have said all along, no, we need more spending, more spending, more spending. The reason we have so much unemployment right now, or not unemployment, but so many vacant jobs is because so many people in government forgot basic economy, economics. And not only did they forget basic economics, they decided to separate employees from employers by incentivizing unemployment, as opposed to doing what every other country on the planet did by and large, which was just to furlough employees, have the governments pay the salaries that gave the workers incentive to go back to work at those companies without having to do sky-high wage hikes afterwards. The United States did not do that. And by the way, bipartisan problem, it started under Trump. It's not just a Biden thing. And that is why we have so many people in need of workers and they can't find workers right now. And one of the chief reasons inflation is so high is because this country in its COVID policies subsidized unemployment and severed the relationship between employee and employer. And a lot of people... They're still too scared to go back to work because of government incompetence in handling COVID and telling people a vaccine would be the salve we needed, and in fact, people are still getting COVID. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, if you're in charge of the finances of a small business and you want to grow that business and banks are giving you a hard time, reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan. You can get all their contact info at firstlibertyga.com. That's their website, firstlibertyga.com. We're talking loans, $750,000 and up. They can help you. Just spend 10 minutes with them. See if they're a fit for you. You for them. FirstLibertyGA.com. More police have been killed under Joe Biden in a year in office than any time since 1995 when Bill Clinton was president. This is from the New York Post. More cops were killed in the line of duty during President Biden's first year of office than any other year since 1995, and a law enforcement group says the driving force is the growing anti-cop sentiment. 73 officers were intentionally killed in the line of duty in 2021, a nearly 59% increase over 2020, when 46 cops were murdered. We believe it's a combination of the George Floyd protests, riots, if you will, a general feeling of a preference for less law enforcement and less prosecution and less policing. Jason Johnson, president of the Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund and a 20-year police veteran, told Fox News, law enforcement officers have essentially been marginalized and demoralized and cast aside and encouraged now to enforce the law. And so we've seen massive jumps in the homicide rate in cities across America and it's natural that more police officers are being assaulted because a lot of leaders in these cities and leaders in Congress and leaders of the White House have really voiced a lack of respect for law enforcement officers. I think it's true. I have had several listeners to this program call in, and they have said, their children, their sons in particular, wanted to grow up. They didn't want to be in the military. They wanted to be police officers. And now they really don't want their kids anywhere near doing a job like that, an honorable profession. They don't want their kids doing it because they're afraid of what will happen to them. They're afraid of the backlash, they're afraid of the violence. It's this, we got problems. We really do the lack of respect for law enforcement. Now, concurrent to that, we've got to rethink, I think, in, in some ways um, how police deal with situations like no-knock warrants. Not really a fan. I, I get why they exist. But I think increasingly they're doing more harm than good. There was a guy the other night in, in I think, what, Minneapolis. Who jumped out of bed during a no-knock warrant, uh, thought someone was raiding, a bad guy was breaking into his house, shot by the police. These happen more and more. Everybody's on edge right now. But overwhelmingly, the police are here to keep us safe. And they're not the bad guys. Are there some bad police officers? Yes. Are that is that the majority of police officers? No. And we got to make space for police in this country to be able to do their jobs. Uh, and this war on cops that's going on provoked by the Democrats. Isn't helping. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The full number is eight, seven, seven, nine, seven, Eric, eight, seven, seven, nine, seven, three, seven, four, two, five. Let's go to Jim. Colin. Welcome to the program, Jim. Yeah. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh- I need a little help with woke. I figured out deep state deep state fairly quickly. Cancel culture was no problem. Woke has totally eluded me. I have no idea what it's about. <laughs> okay, um, so uh, so this is what makes the use of the word woke funny to me is that woke is actually a uh, cultural appropriation by a bunch of white people. You know how the left gets really been out of shape over cultural appropriation these days. It really is um, cultural appropriation from uh, black culture in America. Woke was a word black people used to each other to tell them to stay aware of what's going on, to be aware of their treatment in society and to be aware of uh, social injustices happening within the black community. Be woke. It has been embraced now by the progressive left, uh, particularly white progressives, to mean an awareness of all social injustice, real or perceived, an awareness of um, all the imbalancing forces in society, and an awareness of what they perceive to be uh, long-held systems of oppression and racism. Uh, So if you are woke, it means you see how capitalism uh, is bad. If you are woke, it means you see how uh, the American system was designed by a bunch of slave-holding racists in the 1700s, and the system has perpetuated itself to keep uh, non-white people down. Now, the people who overwhelmingly subscribe to wokeism these days are on the left and white. Uh, it It is something different within the black community and meaning overall than what it is among uh, white progressives. There are some similarities, but overwhelmingly the word has been culturally appropriated by the progressive white left, which despises cultural appropriation, and they've done it anyway. Uh, the larger issue here is what you wake up to, what you're woke about, is tend to, tends to be defined by what you're outraged about. And in the black community, let's be honest, there are real disparities in treatment among black and white citizens still in this country. It's getting way better. And time is really the only thing that's going to resolve the issue. This rush to make things right is only going to foster resentment and lead to it not being uh, right and not being equal. Just let time heal the wound. But the social white left in this country is convinced that uh, they and government can fix everything. And really, uh, if wokeism is defined by what you're outraged by, they are outraged by everything. Now back to the phones, we go, uh, Andrew, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program, Andrew. Thanks Eric. Can you hear me? Thanks for taking I, my call. I can hear you. Sure. So just a quick comment on your no knock warrant only in the specific case that you referenced the Minnesota one that just happened or Minneapolis. I did watch the film, uh, body cam and the police did say police, police, police get your hands up. And this kid came right out of the covers. With a gun, ladies, I'll just I'll just ask you, warranted or unwarranted? I, I, just get in your action, obviously. Like. Yeah, if if they're saying police, 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 uh, yeah, I mean that that way more makes it justified. There, of course, the problem is uh, you could also conceive in in certain situations where. Um, people say that coming in to try to throw you off your game when they want to come kill you, particularly if you're living in that area. Uh, and if you're in bed with a gun, uh, clearly you think somebody's coming to come get you. Um, there's a larger context here, if we're honest about it. And Andrew, it may get you and me in trouble to discuss that context of uh, when you're up to no good, uh, expect no good to come finding you. And um, maybe had his uh, the behaviors involved been different. Uh, To precede the police doing a no-knock warrant, the outcome would have been different. Uh, But at the same time, keep in mind that about 90% of no-knock warrants in this country are actually uh, for things other than what they were intended for, and they have largely been abused. The the whole purpose of the no-knock warrant has been uh, you didn't want someone flushing drugs down the drain. If you thought you needed to raid a drug house, you thought there was active possession of drugs for distribution. You didn't want to knock because they destroy the evidence because you could get in there. But more and more, they're using no-knock warrants for unnecessary things. Now, in this case, yeah, if the police are knocking and they're saying, police, 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 open up, and the guy jumps out of bed with a gun. Yeah, you can obviously see the police are going to do this, but could it have been resolved differently? And I guess that's the larger issue here as well, is could it have been resolved differently? Were they afraid this guy was going to jump up and flush drugs down the drain? I'm not sure in this particular case. But if that wasn't the case, did they need the no-knock warrant? And, you know, there have been several instances, including there was one in Atlanta several years ago where a grandmother got shot and killed by the police. They were at the wrong address doing a no-knock warrant. They stormed through the door. Grandma was packing heat. Uh, lawful gun owner, it wasn't where they intended to go. They got the address wrong, and they wound up killing the woman. So I just, I, I still think our reaction can be that, yes, in this case, it was justified our reaction can be that that's a valid reaction but when ninety percent of no knock warrants are used in situations where you could use another means without contaminating or or um uh, harming or hindering the investigation maybe default to the lesser option I think that's an issue now I'm happy to take your phone calls eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five but Unfortunately, uh, the Joe Rogan issue is still in uh, play. Andrew Yang, the former presidential candidate and mayoral candidate for New York, uh, tweeted out that Joe Rogan was not a racist and then deleted it uh, because it may upset people. He said, I deleted the tweet because it was wrongheaded. It hurt people, which was not my intention. How does a tweet hurt someone? You know, Bill Cosby's collection is on Spotify. Bill Cosby's stand-up routines are on Spotify. Why haven't they taken Bill Cosby down at Spotify? Joe Rogan has apologized and, in fact, is going to make some changes, it appears, for what he has done. It turns out a decade ago, Joe Rogan used the N-word more than once. Ironically, the people who exposed Joe Rogan were called out uh, by Dave Portnoy of Barstool, of Barstool Sports for also having uh, repeatedly used the N-word. The scam pack that appears to be coordinating the attacks on Joe Rogan is a left-wing pack that that's trying to get donations from the left to cash in. Uh, So they've been uh, very good at running these attacks on Joe Rogan, and it really makes no sense. I saw a guy on on Twitter say, well, look, he's had all these these people on, and he leans right wing and listed uh, Russell Brand and Tulsi Gabbard, neither of whom are right wing, as proof that he has on right wingers. What they're trying to do is silence those they don't like. Woko Haram, I call them. Woko Haram has come for Joe Rogan. Now, you need to understand, Woko Haram is a terrorist group. It is a terroristic mob in the United States. I call them Woko Haram because it sounds very much like Boko Haram, the terrorist group in Africa. The difference between Woko Haram and Boko Haram is that Boko Haram in Africa wants to chop off your head. The Woko Haram, they just want to chop up your career and leave you for dead. They want to destroy you without killing you. But let's let's not make a mistake here. They want to destroy Joe Rogan. Why do they want to destroy Joe Rogan? He's a Bernie Sanders supporter. He supports gay rights. He supports pot legalization. But Joe Rogan has become too influential. And he's heterodox. He is not just a down-the-middle progressive. Joe Rogan has heterodox views, meaning uh, views that defy left-wing orthodoxy. And he dares to have voices on who challenge his own orthodoxy. He doesn't just have on yes-men for the left. And so he must be destroyed because 11 million people listen per episode, and those people might think for themselves. Now, he's had on Sanjay Gupta of CNN. I know Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay Gupta is pro-vaccine. He's pro-mandate. He had him on. You would never know he had on Sanjay Gupta, given the number of people who are condemning Joe Rogan for having on Robert Malone, who is raising doubts about the mRNA vaccine for a variety of reasons. But the larger issue here is this is Spotify. Now, Spotify's uh, CEO has apologized as well, said they're not abandoning Joe Rogan. Rumble, the, the video platform Rumble, is offering Joe Rogan $100 million if he wants to leave Spotify. He's not going to leave Spotify. I feel bad for Joe Rogan because there are going to be people who say that he's doing this for the money. When he, I, I doubt Joe Rogan's doing it for the money. I, I think he genuinely enjoys what he does, and the money is an added benefit. I, I, I love what I'm doing on radio. Don't do it for the money. Wish I made more money. Wouldn't want to give it up. Joe Rogan loves what he's doing. He's not doing it for the money. $100 million is great, but he's not doing it for the money. He was doing it before he had $100 million. But the left wants to control the means of conversation, the outlets by which conversation can happen, and the content of conversations. Woko Haram is after Spotify because Spotify has Joe Rogan. Now, the problem here is you can see where this is going This is the beginning, not the end of something. They're going to come from more outlets as well. So my uh, newsletter that I have on a daily basis is on Substack. I have to be careful how I talk here because some people get mad at me. You can pay $7 a month or $70 a year and you can get my paid Substack. If you text the word data to 33777, you can get a link. You can get a lot of free stuff just by submitting your email address. You don't even have to pay. I can get around advertiser boycotts on nationally syndicated radio because people subscribe to my Substack newsletter and pay, and it helps me avoid the censors of the left. I lost a radio advertiser because of my position on transgenderism, that it's a mental health issue, that it's not a natural thing, and we shouldn't treat it as such. And the advertiser decided I was too radical and walked away. Didn't have to worry about it because I have subscribers to Substack who can keep me on the air nationally. Now, locally in Atlanta, nobody has to worry about that. I'm on WSB in Atlanta. I'm an employee of the company, and I get a paycheck from them. Nationally, I handle my own subscriptions. I handle my own satellite costs, pay the board up, all that sort of stuff I handle for national radio. And the left is coming after radio stations and advertisers about little old me already. And others, because they don't like what we say and they don't want anyone else to hear it. You could just change the channel. You don't have to subscribe to Joe Rogan. You don't have to get my podcast or listen to me, but it's too much to the left. Substack, I'm sure, is where they're going to come next. They're already agitating about it. They they don't want your voice. On there, You don't want your words on there. They don't like that Substack is a platform. Thus far, Substack is a bunch of libertarians, and they're holding firm on the idea that they're not going to be bullied into canceling people whose opinions you don't like. As they say, you don't have to subscribe to their newsletter, and you won't see them. Part of this is control, and part of this is nanny statism, in that the left has... A lot of contempt for you and believes they're smarter than you, and they should be able to govern what you consume in terms of media so that you have their views. It is the re-education camps of Woko Haram. They want to silence anyone, any dissent that may make you realize their views are wrong. And Joe Rogan is getting his 15 minutes of hate from the left right now, you know, if Rogan were to just double down and stand firm and Spotify with him, this would all go away. And they should, because there's a vested interest in it for the rest of us in media outlets to have everybody stand firm and say, we're not going to play around with Woko Haram. We're we're, we're not going to negotiate with terrorists. But the Spotify CEO has a bunch of Woko Haram members who work for him and they're upset. And if your employees are upset, well, you got to calm them down. But how he calmed them down was to say, we're sticking with Joe Rogan, but we're going to hire people from marginalized communities. We're going to throw money at the problem. And then the wokes and Woko Haram, they become a shakedown scheme and it incentivizes them doing more of this for the shakedown. They either get somebody canceled or they get a big chunk of money. And either way, it incentivizes them to keep going. Until these companies say, we're not going to play this game, we're not going to negotiate with the terrorists, we're going to see more of this, and they're going to come for more platforms. It's a very dangerous game, and Fortune 500 companies and -and up-and-coming tech companies are some of the most vulnerable to it because their CEOs lack spying and commitment to the First Amendment. Well... The data is out. The Beijing Winter Olympics opening day draws 16 million viewers, 43% less than the 2018 uh, views. The opening day uh, down 43% from the kickoff for the games in Pyeongchang in 2018. The opening ceremonies aired twice on Friday, live in the morning and again in primetime, both nbc and the streaming service uh beijing is 13 hours ahead of the u.s east coast right now uh during uh what daylight saving time it's 12 hours it's easy to figure out when beijing is roughly because if it is uh 2 p.m on the east coast of the united states it's 2 a.m on the west on on in china time and china has one time zone i think for the entire country which is absurd now, confession. I saw a few minutes of curling last night. Not really seeking out the Olympics to watch it, uh, but was scrolling through on the Apple TV and watched curling for. I, I I can't even. I don't even understand it. If I'm honest, the only reason we clicked is because someone said that the uh, one of the players was supposed to be quite attractive. Not so. We moved on to Bill Burr's stand-up comedy on Netflix but there were a couple of minutes in there where we watched it didn't watch the opening ceremonies a number of american athletes refused to even participate which is good now coverage of the opening ceremonies has gone down for some time and part of it as well is the time change issue if it's if the time zone is closer to ours more people will tune in if it was in canada the united states or somewhere like that a whole lot more people would probably tune in and pay attention but Not this, not in Beijing, and there's just kind of a a, a seedy grossness to trying to cheer on people in China. Now, listen, if you want to watch it, watch it. I got a buddy of mine. He's giving me a hard time about this. Um, He's very pro-Olympics, thinks it's a good thing, and he's going to watch. God bless him. I just... Yeah, your, your your mileage may vary on this. I just, I'm, I can't get into it. And there are some things I really want to watch, like the Skeleton and the Luge. I just think they're amazing events. But I just got a, I got a hard time engaged in this one. I really do. Um, and so I'm, I I couldn't care less to, to watch more of it. I'll watch the stand-up. Man, so I saw Bill Burr is a comedian. He's friends with Dave Chappelle, and he had a 2019 stand-up performance in London at the Royal Albert Hall. It was deeply hilarious. And there's no way he could do it today. And that was just a few years ago. Woko Haram would come for him and take his head. Uh, if, if he did that sort of show today with some of the jokes he made, it's deeply funny. And that's sad. You know, uh, people like Chappelle have said that the the comedy stage is the last place in America where you can stand up and say something everybody's thinking and everyone's too scared to say, and you can all have a laugh about it. I don't think you can do that anymore. The censorious left wants to shut everybody down. We got to stand up to the wokes. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates, you got the economy, you got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building, you want to build a building, reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can.